Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Ajnanatim Randasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshura Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha. So we are studying a uh, interesting section, the Varn Ashrama and uh, Naturally, the question that always arises in, in studying this is how much or to what extent, how does this apply to our world today? Um, and yeah, and how to understand, yeah, the, basically that, that application. And, you know, because Prabhupada will regularly talk about Varnashrama Dharma as a cure for society's ills. Um, he even talked about this when he was talking to Professor Kotovsky when he was in Moscow in 1971. He said, so any society you conceive, unless the, there are these four divisions, there will be chaos. It will not properly go on, smoothly go on. There will be disturbance. Um, and he says the system of Arnashram is natural based on its, it is a creation of God, just as the body has four divisions brain, arms, belly, and legs. Society also has four divisions, Brahman, Chatriyas, Vaishyas, and Sudras. And the, now this, this is something that everyone in the, you know, would agree with. Uh, the the Varnashram ideal, it has a number of benefits. And one of them is that um, all the citizens do their work according to their natural propensities, uh, which allows for every individual to you know, taste some satisfaction in his or her occupation. Um, and, and we all know people, right? The, right. We hear people say, I'm, you know, what is it? What is the saying? I'm stuck in a dead end job, right? You've heard that, that saying, right? So the idea, ideally, now we're talking about ideal now, we're not talking about, you know, what happens today exactly, but ideally everyone is engaged according to their natural propensities, not by birth, but they're actually what they are inclined to do. And so there isn't the artificial competition that pervades the culture today, um, which leaves room for a more natural kind of uh, cooperation where people are happy with their place in society um, and they, they, they see themselves as part of an interdependent whole. And, and again, and ideally, there's not envy. Oh, you know, that person's a doctor and I'm, you know, a garbage man or something like that. But they see the importance of all the different occupations and people who are doctors are doctors because that's actually their inclination. Um, and people are garbage men because they're, they're good at that kind of manual labor. And, and of course, in an ideal Varnashram society, actually the doctors don't get paid anything. <laughs> They're brahmanas and they do, uh, they just they take care of the health of the citizens and they live on donations <laughs> as, as brahmanas. So it's a very different, obviously, a very different uh, society. <clears throat> and this, is, this comes up in... Um, this division of labor, we, we talked about this way back in the fifth canto, chapter five, where uh, Lord Rishabdev, he says, okay, there's this one 
of my hundred sons, Bharat Maharaj, and the other 99 should follow him. And they, so they all had their different um, occupational duties like that. Um, and yet, Prabhupada was very aware of the difficulties uh, in establishing Varnashram. In, in, in 1974, he said that uh, it is no longer possible to revive the perfect system of Varnashram. Although we are trying to revive, it is not possible. It is very difficult. People are so fallen. Manda sumanda matayo, manda bhagya. I usually get this easily. Yupadrutaha. Um, there are so many disturbed, unfortunate, always served, especially um, people in the age of Kali. They'll be very much harassed by these things. So he, 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 um, he simultaneously empathized with the challenges and, and maybe even the impossible, well, certainly the impossibility to follow everything uh, in Varnashram uh, today. And we'll, we'll go into some of those details in, in a little while. Um, and yet, it may be as hard as it is for us to conceive of it, uh, in sociological terms, it's called uh, stratification of society. And Prabhupada would even sometimes point out that, that these divisions already exist. You know, you already have the intelligent, you already have the, the, the uh, managerial, the, the financial, and the workers, you know, like that. But the, the problem, one of the huge problems in society today is that, um, is again, that one is seen as better than the other. And, and, and also, of course, that one exploits that, that the so-called brahmanas exploit others. But the idea was that everyone in a, in a traditional Varnashrama society, they, they all knew their parts. They all were satisfied with their parts and they all understood that this is a role that I'm playing for this lifetime. Um, but the goal is to love Krishna. And so I do my duties, whatever they are. I take care of my family in that way. And I focus uh, all that time instead of trying to climb the ladder of success to just find out at the end that it's leaning against the wrong wall to uh, focus on the essential thing, which is not Varnashram, the essential thing is uh, Prema Pumarta Mohan, developing our love for Krishna. And the essential practice is chanting Hare Krishna, not uh, all the details of Varnashram. Okay, so that's my little uh, um, beginning uh, discussion, <clears throat> my little preface. And uh, any questions or comments before we move on from last week's readings? So then let's dive into it. Okay. Text 18 to 20. In time of emergency. So remember, we're talking about, you know, uh, this was written well, 5,000 years ago, but about a time much further before that. In, in time of emergency, one may accept any of the various types of professions known as uh, Rita Amrita, Mrita, Pamrita, and Satyanrita. But one should not at any time accept the profession of a dog. The profession of Unchashila, collecting grains from the field, is called Rita. Did we read this? No, I don't think. I thought I mentioned this, collecting grains. But anyway, we'll keep going. Collecting without begging is called Amrita. 
begging grains is called mrita, tilling the ground is called pamrita, and trade is called satamrita. Engaging in the service of low-grade persons, however, is called svavrita, or the professions of dogs. Specifically, Brahmins and Chatris should not engage in the low abominable service of sudras. Brahmanas should be well acquainted with all the Vedic knowledge, and Chatris should be well acquainted with the worship of demigods. So um, the idea being that for a Brahman who's supposed to be this real independent thinker, if, um, if he's behold, he or she is beholden to um, you know, having a boss, right? Where you have to say, oh, no, you, you have a very good idea. Yes, we'll do whatever you say, um, right? Which is often how we, you know, we treat bosses, even if, uh, what do they call it? Managing upwards. Um, it's, it's, it's a mis total misuse of a Brahmin's education and their contribution to society. That's the, the society doesn't benefit when a person's been, gone through all this training to be a real independent thinker and really help society in that way. And um, he or she becomes um, working under someone who wasn't trained in that way. And Prabhupada writes in the purport at the very end, although the Krishna conscious movement is a movement of Brahmanas and Vaishnavas, it is truly, it is trying to establish the reestablish the divine Varnashram system. But without the division of society, there cannot be peace and prosperity anywhere. And you know, as, as much as we don't want to just go on and on poo-pooing modern society, I think anyone who picks up a newspaper, especially these days, will understand that it's not like there's a peaceful and prosperous society in, in modern day, <laughs> right? I think that's, uh, and it seems to be uh, accelerating in its um, challenging situation in recent times. So any questions, comments on this? Okay. Well, I, I guess I will say one thing. I, I guess one key is uh, um, like no mixing of the of the different. Uh, what oh do you call yeah. It? Um, well, yeah. Well, cast is the word. Cast, well, I guess what yeah. we mean. Yeah, we yeah, right. We, it has we we cast has uh, yeah. taken on such a negative connotation that you hesitate exactly. to use it. But. But I, this was interesting for me because, you know, prior to ever really reading this stuff, um, if you hear, oh, there can't be any mixing of the casts, you know, as a Westerner, we would think, well, it's almost like sounding as though, you know, there can't be marriage between the cast, which I guess is the case. And that's what we would focus on. But I think what it really means is you can't have people doing business if they're prominent, right? Right, 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 exactly. So for yeah. instance, you know, I mean, or or if they're politi as politicians. So for instance, we find out that these Federal Reserve Board guys are, are trading stocks. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Which yeah. is obviously a problem. Yes, and even though, you know, you and I are both federal employees, and we have all these ethics issues, uh, all these ethic rules that we have to follow, the Hatch Act. You know, I don't know if anyone knows what that is, but during uh, president, during camp, any kind of election campaigns, you can't be displaying anything that chooses a different party. And then we see all these people who are bosses, bosses, boss, you know, way at the top of the food chain and doing all kinds of crap. You know? And then feigning like, yeah. oh, I, I didn't. 
I, I won't mention his name, but our secretary of the interior, when uh, a few, uh, maybe four years ago, he had 31 ethics violations against him <laughs> when he was forced out of office. <laughs> so yes, and, and, and yeah, then again, traditionally, people would marry people of like-mindedness and, and similar upbringings, which is interesting because Dean both, and I don't know about other people on this call, but both you and I married people of different cultures. Mm -hmm. right? I married, my wife is from Ireland and I'm a, you know, Irish Catholic, Irish woman, and I'm a Jew from New York and, and your, your wife is a Gujarati and I, I'm not sure your background, but it's not Gujarati. Just an American guy. Yeah, just an American. <laughs> I may not look it, but that's basically the truth. <laughs> what is that song? Just a hometown boy born and raised in South Detroit. <laughs> DC, or DC, Bethesda. Yeah, yeah right. That song by What's... Journey. Um, so, and, and, and it's great, you know, it's great, but I've, you know, it was, you know, we had to make a lot of adjustments in my marriage because, you know, we have different things and that's fine. And, you know, uh, but in, in, in bygone ages, there was this much more of this idea of pedigree. And uh, it was just a different, different world, totally different world. You know, um, I was talking to a devotee who's writing a book of, he's writing a pop, maybe I mentioned this before, uh, his name, Yogesh Rupert was writing a popular book on Lord Chaitanya. You know, one for, did I mention this? One for the, uh, you know, not, uh, not people who are not familiar with the Chaitanya Charitamrita, people who are not yet devotees of Krishna. And, um, you know, he was, he was just realizing that we kind of, in this time, we take it so for granted that Krishna consciousness is spread all over the world, you know, and, um, but Lord, there was only like a very few verses in Lord Chaitanya's time that talked about that, that, you know, all over the world meant, you know, to the, to that village there and the next village over there, you know, that was the idea of spreading Krishna consciousness in a lot of ways. It was a very different, different world. The next verse says the symptoms of a Brahmana are control of the mind, control of the senses, austerity and penance. Now that's interesting. If they're supposed to be the big shots, right? They're in charge of stuff. And then they live simply. And their wealth is austerity and cleanliness and being satisfied with whatever the Lord provides and being forgiving and simple in their lifestyle, full of knowledge, merciful, truthful, and ultimately as Vaishnava is surrendered to the supreme personality of Godhead. So it's interesting. The Brahmin is forgiving. You know, he doesn't, need, what, what offense? I didn't, I don't think you offended because they're just thinking themselves as sort of, the Chatriyas are not so forgiving. We'll get to them in a minute. In the purport, it says, in the institution of Varnashram Dharma, the symptoms of a Brahmin, a Chatriya, Vaisha, Sudra, and then, what we're going to hear in the next chapter, Brahmachari, Grihasta, Vanaprasta, and Sanyas are all described. <clears throat> the ultimate aim is Achutatmatvam, to think always of the Supreme Personality of Godhead or Krishna or Vishnu. To make advancement in Krishna consciousness, one has to become a Brahmana with the above mentioned symptoms. So, of course, Prabhupada will say elsewhere that you anyone can become a, a devotee of Krishna. Um, Although some of these symptoms will be there in, in whatever, we'll just use the word caste. The actual word is varna. Um, 
But this is the goal of all this. And that's how this, if you remember, that's how it all started. Yudhisthira basically said, well, how can, I be, how can anyone become a great devotee like Prahlad? And so we're, we're learning Upadharma, which is not spiritual, but it leads to, it can lead to the spiritual. Just imagine if you lived a life where um, you weren't worried about money because, you know, in whatever position you had, you had enough and, um, and you didn't have advertisements bombarding you all the time that you need this new car and this new computer and this new this, you know, you, you had your needs met but, and your wants were a lot less because you weren't bombarded by keeping up with the Joneses or the Agarwals or whatever, um, the Patels. And you had, and again, remember this, you had trust in the leadership. Now that is such a foreign ideal. I mean, it was probably for like, maybe I'm the oldest person. Oh, Henry and I are about the same age. And maybe, I don't know how Andy looks like a spring chicken. Um, but, uh, you know, when I was a child, we, you know, we, um, until Watergate, we had respect for presidents, you know, and even the, even the press, I mean, the press knew that Kennedy was having all kinds of affairs and things like that. And it didn't, you know, there was, anyway, there was a lot of, there was a lot more respect. Uh, and that's only in the fifties and sixties, what to speak of thousands of years ago. And so we can't really imagine where you actually trusted everyone in society. And, and therefore you were satisfied, you know, you, you had what you, you had your needs met. And then with all that extra time that usually takes up our consciousness with, you know, uh, with, you know, with sense gratification and keeping up with the Joneses and hearing all the latest kata about this lousy person and that lousy person, you had time to be Krishna conscious. 22 is going to talk about chatris to be influential in battle. I don't know if, if we consider uh, Dean a Chatriya because he's working for the, uh, he's in the armed forces. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> to be influential in battle, unconquerable, patient, challenging, and charitable, to control the bodily necessities, to be forgiving, to be attached to the Brahminical nature and to be always jolly and truthful. These are the symptoms of a Chatriya. Imagine if all of our leaders were like that. To be influential. Oh, I read that one. Twenty-three. Jolly was an interesting word choice. Yeah, there. jolly. Yeah, chatrias were jolly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also remember reading somewhere else when he was talking about chatrias, though, that um, they they, sh they should be basically intimidating. Yes. You yeah. know, like in other words, if if you feel like you really want to do this, but you have kind of a a meek look or disposition you know maybe it's just not your thing yeah. and and you know even though they're i guess kind of nice if you actually approach them there should be this sort of yeah. nature where they just naturally look kind of like whoa look at that dude you know yeah yeah don't mess with this guy yeah. <laughs> that americans really like theodore roosevelt you know because he was you know a rough rider and a tough guy and, and you know he, he kicked butt as we would say and they chose Eisenhower. I don't think Eisenhower had any, I don't know if he had any reason to be a real president, but he was a general that won World War II. He was like, you know, so there was, you know, he also kicked butt in his own way. And, and, uh, and then you read about um, Arjuna 
and 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 bima especially bima yeah it, it, it was like that and, and even you know you want if if somebody's if a thief is running after you you want to you know take shelter of a policeman who actually looks like he can do something to the thief <laughs> yeah i mean even myself my, my brother was six years older than me so if kids were giving me a hard time i would run to him and then they would run away just because he was so much bigger than them you know <laughs> even though he's not he's a pacifist but but you know what i mean as a i was six and he was 12 so yeah good point um being always devoted to the demigods the spiritual master and the supreme lord vishnu endeavoring for advancement in religious principles economic development and sense gratification dharma artha and kama believing in the words of the spiritual master in scripture and always endeavoring with expertise and earning money. These are the symptoms of a Vaisha. Offering obeisances to the higher sections of society, being always very clean, being free from duplicity, serving one's master, uh, performing sacrifices without uttering mantras, not stealing, always speaking the truth, and giving all protection to the cows and Brahmins. These are the symptoms of a Shudra. So again, imagine if all of society had all of those qualities, those four qualities um it would be uh it would be very different than today uh and again we're talking about the ideal and in a few minutes we're going to also talk about the practical right but um that's what we're talking about anything right now before we move on saradia nandimuki we're going to be talking about ladies soon so we'll hear if uh, you have <laughs> yeah i'd like to say something before we get into all that okay, controversial Andy. stuff I think to Prabhupada, this was, Varnashra was a real thing, as real as anything is, right? But in, in reality, for most of us, it's pretty much theoretical, because if you look at the oldest written Vedas, as far back as you can go, they may uncover some that are more than 7,000 years old, right? Mm -hmm. I think even at that time, it, it was theoretical, because you probably already had a caste system in India. It's, they've always had a caste system, right? Even when it was kingdoms, it wasn't, okay, kind of wasn't India, but they still had, I think they still had this. It was always, this is a theoretical thing. And um, and that's where I'm coming at this this whole thing. Well, uh, I, you know, that may be, um, I, I think I've mentioned this before, but let me see. Uh, it, uh it may be to to address that it may be fun and interesting and different if i play about a six or seven minute excerpt from fiddler on the roof because my point this is russia this is the turn of the this is the early 1900s and and uh, my contention is you see varnashram very much at work in this in this uh um a play that was written. So how about we do that just to get a little that it's may not okay just to and we have a conversation would that be a little different? All right, let me see. Now there's one here that's um 4 minutes and one that's 7 minutes. I'm trying to see of what the difference. Can I say one thing while you're Yeah, sure. Internet which is only not entirely out of left field but um you know talking about the age of, of some of these things I, there was a period where i was trying to obviously like um 
ISKCON's and, and India's view of how history transpired in India is can be quite a bit different than what the English version that eventually was oh, yes. came about, right? Yes. And um, so I tried to do a little bit of like research of, of my own, like where did these documents supposedly come from, you know, et cetera. And if you look at the Western um, concept of it, which is based on the archeology span and whatnot, um, <clears throat> you know, this stuff would have come relatively recently and almost like if you just look at the time immediately out of like hunter gatherer to agrarian and then all of a sudden there's this so it's like regardless of what you think of that it's hard to deny that the literature that we read here is extremely advanced yeah and it's it's like it's very interesting to me because on the one hand, like, yeah, I guess the archaeology is telling these people going there and researching this stuff that this should have been almost like at the dawn of civilization. Well, how, how did we immediately come up with these masterpieces of literature? It's almost like, like we reached the pinnacle right at step one. Yeah, yeah, right. And then we went to hunter gathering afterwards. Yeah, and you know, there's similar things elsewhere, like the pyramids. All of a sudden, we're we're coming out of caves, and we built these geometrically perfect. I don't know. It's there's just a lot of things in the world that just. And maybe it would be worthwhile. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. It may be worthwhile um, because you know sometimes you ever like hear a really good lecture and then you try to repeat it to somebody else and you you just it's not as good oh sure it might be really good to get radhika raman prabhu who um, is a phd from oxford and the head of the religion department at utah state university and uh he's the one who got his phd at 19 years old and went to college at 14 (laughs) uh and he's very humble nice devotee so he he once gave a talk on um on timelines and the vedas and it was very i was very edifying and maybe i could ask him if he would at least give like yeah a, that's the type of thing i would be okay I would, i'll check so, with him and in the meantime we're going from that to fiddler on the roof <laughs> so uh i hope you enjoy this this is actually the beginning pretty much the beginning of the movie um give me a second here Get your popcorn out. And how do we keep our balance? That I can tell you in one word. Tradition! 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 of our traditions we've kept our balance for many many years here in Anatevka we have traditions for everything how to sleep how to eat how to work how to wear clothes for instance we always keep our heads covered and always wear a little prayer shawl This shows our constant devotion to God. You may ask, 
How did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Good day and night must scramble for a living, feed a wife and children, send his daily press, and who has a right as master of the house to have the final word at home? For instance, uh, Yenter the man, Remnathel the beggar. <laughs> okay. So didn't that look kind of like Varnashram? Right? Yes. It really did, right? <laughs> um, uh, there's, yeah, that really looked like Varnashram to me. Uh, obviously, you know, a little different, but... Uh, you know, there was the, yeah, it's just, it's like right out of this chapter. Almost. Mm -hmm. Sorry about the meat, you know, and the pictures of the yeah. slaughtered animals. I, they still have a big problem with that. Yeah. But, All the uh, Abrahamic religions. Yeah. But anyway, you can see this is a village, not nothing to do with India. Um, you know, it's a play, but, you know, about 120 years ago. Uh, and, and like that. So well, and there's a lot of this stuff in uh, like Plato's Republic, the different um, separation of society into the different. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and, and in America, um, I mean, really, it was World War II that when the men went off to war, the women helped run the factories. As far as I understand, that was the big, that was the guess, beginning of the shift. Um, I guess that would be an emergency situation where it's yeah, 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 right. permitted or whatever. But then it carried on after that. Yeah. I mean, to the extent now that, um, I mean, you'll talk to a lot of people who say we couldn't uh, exist without two income, you know, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's true. Sometimes the way it is. Yeah. Andy, you want to say something or you just? Yeah. Um, don't get me wrong. I think it's real. It's like platonic solids. I think it's real and always there, 
But in reality, nobody do, ever does it right. It's like everybody says, oh yeah, peace, I love peace. And we have wars, right? <laughs> right. It's there, the different types and roles are there. They're always bubbling up, but it's never done right. And, and, and that's kind of the way, okay, so if you follow this play to its later on, um, you might, this was, remember this was the opening scene of the play, right? And, and so what happens later is um, two, the, the, the person, the, the lead person there, two of his daughters um, have love marriages. They weren't arranged. And one of them is outside of the religion. And that one he just couldn't accept. Another one was a love marriage, but it was still within the religion. He, and he was okay with that. But the one I think that he actually, she marries like a Russian soldier, which is, you know, uh, the, the, the enemy, so to speak. Um, yeah, so, so true. Uh, and what we're here reading about, I think that's a good point, Andy. What we're reading about right now is the ideal or an ideal um, that, that is, does not exist today. So now let's carry on, unless someone else has a, uh, has a, it was probably the first time Fiddler on the Roof was ever played in a uh, Bhagavatam class. And Andy writes, perfect Western examples, Ibison's A Doll's House. I'm not familiar with that. Is that a book? Uh, no, it's a play. Play, okay. But it was about a woman who grew up under a father and she was handed off to her husband. And she was trying to live within that stricture her whole life. And then I don't want to spoil it, but she okay. found out that her husband was actually not quite what he appeared to be. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, you'll find like in India, even today, I, I've met couple, many, many of the older people, especially that come to our temples, they will have had arranged marriages. And the idea is that you, you, um, you don't fall in love, but you work towards love. <laughs> you develop it once married. It's a different, I have, I have met people say, yep, I, I met my spouse uh, two days before the wedding. <laughs> Someone told me that yesterday. <laughs> okay, let us carry on. Um, now we're going to talk about the, uh, the, the uh, duties of a woman. Of, yes. To render service to the husband, to be always favorably disposed to the husband, to be equally well disposed towards the husband's relatives and friends, and to follow the vows of the husband. These are the four principles followed by women described as caste. Um, and Prabhupada writes, in modern times, the Varna Sankara, which meant people who are um, begotten out of lust and not like uh, planned parenthood, so to speak, uh, are hippies who do not follow any regulative injunctions. Another example is that when the population is Varna Sankara, no one can know who is on what platform. The Varnashram system scientifically divides society into four Varnas and four ashrams. But in Varna Sankara society, there is no such distinctions and no one can know who is who. So there's no distinction. And Prabhupada is saying that for peace and happiness, it's helpful to know who is who. Uh, the next verse, and we'll read a few, I'll make a few comments, and then take comments and questions. A chaste woman must dress nicely and decorate herself with golden ornaments for the pleasure of her husband. Always wearing clean and attractive garments, she should sweep and clean the household with water and other liquids so that the entire house is always pure and clean. She should collect the household 
paraffin paraffinalia and keep the home always aromatic with incense and flowers. It must be ready to execute the desires of her husband. Being modest and truthful, controlling her senses and speaking in sweet words, a chaste woman should engage in the service of her husband love with love according to time and circumstances. A chaste woman should not be greedy, but satisfied in all circumstances. Oops. She must be very expert in handling household affairs and should be fully conversant with religious principles. She should speak pleasingly and truthfully and should be very careful about uh, and be and always uh, clean and pure. Thus, a chaste woman should engage with affection in the service of a husband who was not fallen. And then Prabhupada writes there that one who is not a devotee, however, is the most fallen and condemned. It is recommended, therefore, that a chaste wife not associate with a fallen husband. A fallen husband is one who is addicted to the four principles of sinful activity, namely illicit sex, meat eating, gambling, and intoxication. Specifically, if one is uh, not a soul surrendered to the Supreme Personality of God, and he is, to, is understood to be contaminated. Thus, a chaste woman is advised not to agree to serve such a husband. The conclude, at the end, the conclusion is that a husband should be a pure Vaishnava, and that a woman should be a chaste wife with all the symptoms described in this regard. And both of them will be happy and make spiritual progress in Krishna consciousness. And then the last verse on this is, the woman who engages in the service of her husband following strictly in the footsteps of the goddess of fortune surely returns home back to Godhead with her devotee husband and lives very happily in the Vaikuntha planets. So again, this is looking at just a very different worldview if if the if, if if we understand that i'm not that for this short lifetime i'm a woman for this short lifetime i'm a man um what do i have to do to get out of this bodily stuff and go back to the spiritual world and if that's the focus then then things look differently um things look differently so um some notes here just give me a second to find them about this uh okay i'm going to read something that that Buri Jampapu wrote What's clear from the above text is that a woman's position in a traditional Varnashram society was at home with her husband, children, and other family members. Being home left, left women protected from others' lust and the tendency to objectify them rather than value them as respected members of society. Still, the Varnashram society's view of marriage and woman may be unappealing and appear as rigid and old-fashioned to those accustomed to today's social values. How then should modern, intelligent women with modern educations, expectations, and tendencies relate to the role of women in a Varnashram culture? Should adhering to the Varnashram culture, cultural recommendations be forced on today's women? Clearly, this would fail to fulfill the purpose of the Varnashram model, because following the model was a means to an end, that of developing a person's Krishna consciousness, and not an end in itself. Yet, understanding the culture as an ideal, we should try to adopt ourselves and our behaviors in order to come as close to the ideal as practical, keeping in mind time, place, circumstance, and our capacity and nature. That is true of women, and it's just as true uh, uh, for men. There's a little bit more. Just, um, we again have to acknowledge that practical adjustments have to be made to the Varnashram system not so much in principle, but in terms of the details of its application. Anyone doubting this will soon have to confront the practices the Bhagavatam prescribes 
for Varna process. We're going to be reading about this a little later, such as, quote, a Varna process should prepare a thatched cottage or take shelter of a cave in a mountain only to keep the sacred fire, but he should personally practice enduring snowfall, wind, fire, rain, and the shining of sun. Or here's a prescription for sannyasis, quote, a person in the, in the renounced order of life may try to avoid even a dress to cover himself. If he wears anything, it should be only a loincloth. And when there is no necessity, a sannyasi should not even accept the dunda. So, um, uh, and then one, one last thing. So should women with interest beyond the home be restricted to only managing their household? Although women working outside the home doesn't parallel the ideal presented in the Srimad Bhagavatam in relation to the Parnashram standard. In this century, women will nonetheless frequently want to have to work or, or have to work outside the home. Such persons should keep an eye on the ideal and under trusted guidance, use their Krishna given abilities in his service and thus remain focused on the ultimate goal of Varnash. Okay, questions, comments? Hare Krishna Prabhu. Hare Krishna Nandimuki. To your pleasure, I'm speaking. Thank you. <laughs> Hare Krishna. Yes, just thinking about this term tradition, which appeared constantly in the uh, episode you just showed us. I'm thinking about um, the tradition, this term of tradition in a negative sense. In negative sense, okay. Um, I think when used in a negative sense, like this tradition is used as a way to keep people in a closed circle mm -hmm. and to function routinely according to a certain um, notion or conventions. And also more, more even, even worse, it is, it is the tradition is used as a kind of a label to discriminate against mm. outsiders. Right, right. And, and so the result is that it does not provide the space for one to explore his inquisitions, his feelings and his choice. Mm. So, okay, so if tradition is used, it's like, yeah, it's imposed upon a person without them choosing yes. to follow it. Yeah. And uh, so I think that's something mm, I, I want to like uh, reflect upon when I, when I um, like entering or going out of a tradition to another. And and I think in like my feeling is in Krishna consciousness, that's something um, uh, we're ob obviously not doing. The negative what is sense. it? What are we obviously not doing? The, the negative side, side, oh, okay. side yeah, of yeah. tradition. Well, certainly we're hoping that we're not doing, yes. Over time, the goal or the purpose of traditions becomes lost. Uh -huh. you know, obviously, we can see with Varnashram the uh, sort of men sort of had hard labor type jobs you know they worked in the fields they went down to mines collected any society you look at uh, and they you know dug canals from the rivers to bring water to their fields and so women took care of everything on the home front 
and and obviously uh, here in the Varnashram, uh, Krishna was made the center. But you know, over time, I guess the uh, people just accept things, and then the philosophy behind that gets lost. So yeah. I think in chapter three, Prabhupada mentioned that I'm. Uh, he said. Uh, Philosophy without religion is uh, mental speculation. Mental speculation. And religion and without philosophy, philosophy is, is fanaticism. Mentality or fanaticism. Yeah. yeah. So I think over time, traditions become sentimental values and the next generation doesn't understand them. Yes, and, they don't know, understand the, the purpose behind them. The purpose behind them, yeah. So... Uh, and I guess that's a really good point, Prabhu, because mm-hmm. like if you and if you looked at, at the juxtaposition of this talk about Varnashram, I mean, it was you just here basically saying, well, how do we what what how do we form society so that the great the most people can be, follow in Prahlad Maharaj's footsteps and become great devotees? Yeah. And like, I mean, and like you're saying, it's been totally lost. You know, the whole caste system mm-hmm. is just uh Someone, people taking advantage of other people, and uh, yeah, it's yeah, nice. and, and some of the stuff can sound menial, also. Like women have to clean the house and stuff, so it can sound menial. But you know, I think uh, I'd give you my example. I was married in 1994, so my grandmother said to me that you know, there's a, a plenary portion of Vishnu in you, and your wife is Lakshmi. You have to treat your wife well, otherwise, uh, I will come and beat you with my stick. <laughs> so you know, uh, under that system, both boys and girls, they were both tried, taught to respect each other. My grandmother, in the I guess early seventies, she had an accident, she broke her hip, and. Uh, so at you know, 94, I mean, in the 1994 time frame, she old age, she would walk with a hunch. She was a hun- little bit hunchback and she walked mm-hmm. with a stick. So she said to me, you know, if you don't treat your wife well, I will beat you with my stick. So um, <clears throat> it's not that, uh, that the women had this uh, um, ideal to live up to men also had to be uh, caring and loving affectionate and take care of their responsibilities also right right yeah and we see you know it's become so messed up um you know if you look at the matrimonials today mm-hmm. you know it, it's it's mainly about money yeah, yeah. How yeah. much, uh, how many, you know, seeking someone who has salary of at least such and such <laughs> amount of money mm-hmm. and, and or the skin color is really important. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all, all on the material platform. The fact that there was a spiritual aspect, the purpose was to, I guess, uh, bring man women together to in a grihastha ashram as opposed to the grihamedi. Right. You know, we there could be a spectrum here. Like at one end, you have Grihastas, other end could be Griham Paka Grihamedi and and obviously right. Like we were somewhere in between and and, and but obviously we we're trying to become uh, Grihastas 
and in Grihastha level, we can be serving Krishna more than exactly. Obviously, at a Grihamedi level, but yeah, yeah a, 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 in our present condition, we are mostly at the Grihamedi level. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like here's an example of corruption, right? A young industrialist looking for his bride, a Mysore-based bachelor industrialist having owned international export businesses with rig and Atarva Vedic background of warrior caste, Chatriya, presently earning in eight figures, 37 years of age, looking <laughs> for an attractive bride with high aspiration and below 26, he's 37, yes. uh, and below 26 years mm-hmm. of age, strictly, she should be non-smoker, non-feminist, good cook, and never been married before. <laughs> oh. So that, uh, that means they They've lost the ideal uh-huh. of uh, yeah. This person uh, is not Hare <laughs> Krishna. No. Um, so, other questions? Uh, I'll say one thing. Like we we have all these um, advances, supposed, and I'm sure that there's a lot of people that would read this stuff and immediately be averse to it from a Western standpoint. Um, uh, And yet, if you look at the facts, like the scoreboard here in the West isn't that good. I mean, we have divorces at rates that would probably have been unimagined not so long ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, You know, mental health is deteriorating rapidly. Uh, You know, it's almost as though there's some force that's trying to go out of their way to hypersexualize everything for people at younger and you know increasingly younger ages, um, you know what, what are these? What's these so-called advances? What are they really? I mean, exactly, exactly, and that's why we're that's why you know we've been trying to say it, a lot of varnashram will not be practical, but it's good to keep the eye, look at the ideal, and see what parts of that at least can be adopted to try to have at least a more peaceful life. And because what, you know, like you said, the if the alternative would be like really nice, like, you know, there was a 3% divorce rate and mental health was, was, was very low and, um, and it wasn't domestic violence and there wasn't, you know, very little to no child abuse and, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and uh, you know, people having affairs and all that, uh, then you would say, okay, well, it's all good. But the alternative is not that impressive right now. And there, uh, there are times I, I do look at our society and actually wonder if there aren't literal, like, demonic forces behind certain things. I mean, like I said, it just seems like um, our media and things are almost intentionally designed to what's the word like just devolve or, or um, the, I think you know what I'm trying to say. Degrade. Yeah. Uh, deprave. I think is what I was uh-huh. trying to say. Yeah. Well, um, in, you know, Bhagavad Gita chapter 14, Krishna says sometimes Satyagun becomes prominent, that mode of goodness, sometimes the mode of passion, sometimes the mode of ignorance. And it, it's like, we have to kind of look at ourselves also and say, which mode is I'm being dominated by. Right. And I think uh, at the moment, uh, we are dominated by 
be more of ignorance. We those activities are promoted, and you know, like let's set sacks on the media, and then I would say uh, meat eating is yeah. like a, a you know it creates the that destruct you know you are or as a meaters to support that lifestyle you end up killing so much i mean yeah. under necessity it is allowed but right now we live in an advanced society where it is not necessary for us to do any of that and then that has its reactions and and i would say that the you know it's like the ripple effect you know one thing leads to another and before you know completely everything is devolved yeah it's a slippery slope a slippery, slippery slope yeah and therefore, you know, George Harrison, he had that summary, you know, hope to get out of this place by the Lord Sri Krishna's grace. <laughs> My salvation from the material world. So not that we're exactly salvationists, but Srila um, Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur used to say that the material world is not a place for gentlemen. So shall we carry I, on? I do, I, I do on. have to admit there are times when I read these where like, I feel like some of the language chosen is unnecessarily harsh. For instance, uh-huh. you know, the mention that sudras are doing the work of dogs or, or something. Well, and, that's why and I or You're that they ahead. there's a natural inclination of them to steal and things like that. It's yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Whether I'm not here to argue whether or not it's true, but it's like the, the tact of some of it is understood. It's a tough pill to swallow, you know. Yeah, understood, and that's. And that's why, you know, we, we try to have these classes where we can talk about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the, the idea actually about the dog thing was what you had mentioned before. It, and it may not, the wording may be a little hard for us to um, deal with, but the, you, you had said earlier, right? That a person who's got like this high, I think it was you, right? He's gotten this high training and then he's being, you know, you know it's just like, just like, I, Many people, um, I see this a lot at work where, so an employee comes to me and complains and just says, I know, I know this stuff like 10 times better than my boss. <laughs> you know? And I follow and, I, and he's telling me what to do. And he's like, Does, doesn't know what he's talking about. And, and we find this a lot uh, of all due respect um, in the federal government, because I don't know if that is, happens in the armed forces, but- Oh, a hundred percent. I'll talk about it once you're done. Yeah. So in the civil service, every four years, you get new political appointees and the political appointees, you know, are chosen by the president or you right. know, his people. And they're not always chosen because of their expertise. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, they helped you get elected in New Jersey or, you know, they campaigned for you and, you know, you, they, and so sometimes they, they know nothing about, or, or practically nothing about the, um, the agency that they're now in charge of. Right. So that's kind of that. And you say you had that experience in the armed forces? Well, I, I mean, my, my mom was an SES-5 for the VA, and she talked about when, when you know, they would turn over and, and new undersecretary. You know, some of them at least accepted that they didn't know what they were doing, you know, didn't know the ins and outs, and you could work with them. But others just would immediately uh, come in and they acted like they knew everything's stuff like that but um yeah like with the military I, I think that where we've become so technical 
the the officer enlisted system sometimes to me looks antiquated because the enlisted people who have been working on a specific piece of gear or or craft you know highly technical and really know the ins and outs answer to an ensign who just graduated you know who's you know been highly functioning but nonetheless they don't know anything about the real the actual gear but, yeah yeah so you can see there's probably some words that they use that are more choice than dog in some of their bosses. <laughs> right. And, and that system probably made sense back in the day when, when you know, yeah. like your college degree meant, okay, you can do some navigation and the rest of the work was just pulling ropes and raising, yeah. you know, but now it's become... Um, well, what I'm seeing at work is uh, the people who actually have the big power are in charge of IT. Yeah. <laughs> because if you can't, if your computer's not working, you can't function. Yeah. Okay. Any other comments, questions before we move on? Diana Hari Krishna Tarashmi, welcome. I know you've been here a while, but I'm just, uh... okay. Then let us uh, carry on. We are among the mixed classes known as Shankara. Those who are not thieves are known as Anteva Sayi or Chandalas, dog eaters. And they also have their hereditary customs. So there's different, um, there's uh, Anuloma and Pratiloma. Uh, uh, and that was uh, when Anuloma is when a woman of higher caste marries a lower caste man and, and Pratiloma is vice versa. Anyway, you know, again, we're using those higher and lower, but as we have maybe for convenience, but we want to remember that, you know, you can't really say your legs are lower than your arms. <laughs> you need them both, right? Or yeah, so your, your head is really important, but you know, it's also important to have a stomach. So ideally it's the whole body, social body. My dear King Brahmanas, well conversant in Vedic knowledge, have given their verdict that in every age, the conduct of different sections of people according to their material modes of nature is auspicious both in birth and death. If one acts in his profession according to his position in the modes of, of nature and gradually gives up these activities, he attains the nishkama stage. Nishkama means without material desires. So this is kind of going back to the purpose, you know, to ultimately come to the level of being detached and being a servant of Krishna. Prabhupada writes, if one gradually gives up his hereditary customs and duties and tries to serve the Supreme Personality of God in his natural position, he is gradually able to become freed from these activities and he attains a stage of nishkama, freedom from material desire. Um, so what's interesting is, you know, so Prabhupada came and he really emphasized bhakti, just you know, develop our love for Krishna by chanting Krishna's holy name, by reading the, the scriptures about bhakti, by worshiping the deity, by serving other devotees um, and the different other parts of bhakti. And then he, his understanding was that um, if we could have some semblance at least of Varnashrama, then the devotees would be more peaceful and happy. And the challenge is that sometimes they become less peaceful because they fight over these things. Like, I'm not gonna, you know, no, it means this, it means that, right? Um, but that was his, uh, his idea that devotees could be peaceful um, and in that way, have a good springboard 
to Krishna consciousness. Although ultimately the springboard is not the essential thing. It's the, you know, to carry on the analogy, the, the diving into the ocean or into the swimming pool. And the real thing is our love for Krishna. But this can be favorable if it's done appropriately and sanely. And obviously it is very easy to do it insanely as I read in that matrimonial a few minutes ago. Um, 33 and 34. My dear King, if an agricultural field is cultivated again and again, the power of its production decreases and whatever seeds are sown there are lost. Just as drops of ghee on a fire never extinguish the fire, but a flood of ghee will, overindulgence in lusty desires mitigate such desires in, entirely. So <laughs> if you read this, you might think, dang, that's what I wanted to hear. Purport. Similarly, those who are too sinful and have thus been born in the lower classes are allowed to enjoy sinful activities fully. And thus there is a chance that these activities will become distasteful detestful to them and they will get the opportunity to be purified so this was not the general presentation that Prabhupada made obviously um, it's um, but it's there in, in, in the Bhagavatam the general idea is that um, by committing sinful activities this is from the nectar of devotion one increases the reactions that one gets and also increases the desire but obviously this is talking about people in the lower caste right because it says um yeah it says they're born in the lower classes but this is not the general recommendation and then the, la the last verse yeah last verse if one shows the symptoms of being a brahmin chatriya vaishar sudra as described above even if he has appeared in a different class so this is this is a great verse right this such an important verse, doesn't matter. The birth is not important. It's the symptoms that are important. He should be accepted according to the symptoms uh, of classification. And in the purport towards the end, in, des in designating a person a Brahmin, Chatriya, Vaishya, Sudra, birth is not the essential symptom. This understanding is very important. Here Narada Muni distinctly says that one may be accepted according to the caste of his birth if he has the corresponding qualifications, but otherwise he should not. One who has attained the qualification of a Brahmin, regardless of where he was born, should be accepted as a Brahmin. Similarly, one who has developed the quality of a Sudra or Chandala, regardless of where he was born, he should be accepted in terms of these symptoms. Now, birth may help, like if you're the son of a high court judge, it may be percentage-wise, a bit higher for you to become a high court judge, but it's certainly not automatic, right? Um, it's certainly not automatic. So that, of course, is um, is super important. So, any questions, comments, further on these points? David, Rashmi, Henry, Sharadia, Gurudas, people I haven't spoken. Okay, then. Great question of Oh yes, Andy Mukhi. I'm just uh, wanting to make an uh, amusing comment on the last verse. Okay. Uh, we, like this different classes of, in, in a society are uh, based on 
the quality of the person instead of his birth. Right. And uh, yeah, and I'm thinking uh, even it, it might be interesting to think in terms of the broader uh, classification, which includes Brahmana, Kshatriya, Vaishya, Shudra, and also uh, women and Sankara. Varna Sankara, yeah. Yeah, so this all, if you think of them all based on qualification, then it can be interesting. And just a in what way women, would it be interesting? I, yeah, I mean, like women, how we regard women. How oh, we right. Regard, right. Yeah. But we also have like the word Brahmani, which is a woman Brahmana. And of course, we know Prabhupada gave Brahminical initiation to women. Yes. Like that. Okay, so we're going, we can, the next chapter is, uh, is easier. <laughs> it's Ashrama. And that part we kind of have in ISKCON pretty, pretty relatively set up. Who's a brahmachari? Who's a celibate student? Who's a grihasta, a married person? Who's kind of towards the end of his grihasta life is a vanaprasta, living um, more renounced life, and then who's a sannyasi? Now, there's like we like we gave a hint earlier. There's going to be some specifics in these categories that we would you know that we you know like a sannyasi going around without any clothes on or just wearing um, uh, loincloth probably wouldn't get through security at the airport very easily, or the police would probably be pretty upset with them. Um, but let's see, we are um, supposed to read, oh, chat, verses seven and eight. Okay, verse one, Narada Muni said, a student, so the first verses are about brahmacharis, a young student. A student should practice completely controlling his senses. He should be submissive, and should have an attitude of firm friendship for the spiritual master. With a great vow, the brahmachari should live at the Gurukula only for the benefit of the guru. So I always thought that was very interesting that, um, that one can also have a firm friendship with the spiritual master. At both injunctions of day and night, namely in the early morning and in the evening, he should be fully absorbed in thoughts of the spiritual master, fire, the sun god, and Lord Vishnu. And by chanting the Gayatri mantra, he should worship them. Being called by the spiritual master, the student should study the Vedic mantras regularly. Every day before beginning his studies and at the end of his studies, the disciple should respectfully offer obeisances to, unto the spiritual master. Carrying pure kusha grass in his hand, the brahmachari should dress regularly with a belt of straw and with deer skin garments. He should wear matted hair, carry a rod and water pot and be decorated with a sacred thread as recommended in the Shastra. So this is a good example of things we don't exactly follow. We don't have the brahmacharis wear cotton or silk clothing, saffron. They don't wear deer skins. They don't have a belt made of straw, whatever that means. They generally shave their head. They don't have matted hair. Uh, they, don't, they don't carry around a rod or water pot. Um, yeah, so the details, not so much. <laughs> The brahmachari should go out morning and evening to collect alms, and he should offer all that he collects to the spiritual master. He should only eat if he should eat only if offered to take food by the spiritual master. Otherwise, if the spiritual master does not give this order, hmm, he may sometimes have to fast. So, just the idea of discipline—it's—it's um, it's good for the young, the young man to get that kind of discipline. And then Srila Prabhupada did something. 
um, very unique. And along with the Brahmachari ashram, he created the Brahmacharini ashram, uh, uh, ashram for women who are not married. A Brahmachari should be quite well behaved and gentle and should not eat or collect more than necessary. He must always be active and expert, fully believing in the instructions of the spiritual master and the Shastra. Fully controlling his senses, he should associate only as much as necessary with women or those controlled by women. A brahmachari or one who has not accepted the Grihastha ashram must rigidly avoid talking with women or about women, for the senses are so powerful that they may agitate even the mind of a sannyasi, a member of the renounced order of life. Prabhupada writes, the injunction restricting association with women is the basic principle of spiritual life. The basic, not like the, made the advanced one. Associating or talking with women is never advised in any Vedic literatures. The entire Vedic system teaches one to avoid sex life so that one may gradually progress from brahmacharya to grihastha, which does mean associating with women, from grihastha to vanaprastha and from vanaprastha to sannyasa, and thus give up material enjoyment, which is the original cause of bondage to this material world. The word brihadbrata refers to one who has decided not to marry, or in other words, not to indulge in sex life throughout his entire life. So again, we, we uh, see this in older traditions, just like in the, um, even today in Orthodox Judaism, they'll often sit, separate the men from the women in the synagogue. And sometimes there's a big sheet between, in the, uh, between the two sides like that. Uh, and then we have um, Billy Graham. I can't remember what it was. The, the Pomona agreement. It was some agreement that they that he and some others. Um, let me just find it real quick. Um, oh, here, yeah, the Billy Graham rule. Because Mike Mike Pence was criticized for this um, before. Uh, the, oh, the Modesto manifesto or Billy Graham rule is an extra biblical Christian practice among select evangelical Protestant men in which they avoid spending time alone with women to whom they are not married. It is adopted as a display of integrity, a means of avoiding sexual temptation, to avoid any appearance of doing something considered morally, morally objective, objectionable, as well as for avoiding being accused of sexual harassment or assault. <clears throat> it has been called the Mike Pence rule after the US president. And um, it goes, you know, goes on to say, but, and, I, and I'm not saying it's a perfect thing. I'm just saying that it's, it's, it's there in um, Judaism, it's there in uh, evangelical Christianity. Certainly it's there in Catholicism where the priests are meant to be celibate. Right, so it's not um, a wild um, idea. Obviously, some people would take offense at this, and it cuts both ways. You know that women should not associate with men in a lonely place. You know, if you if you associate like um, I think I mentioned this before, but like so, my my spiritual master Buri Prabhu, he would um, he had an apartment upstairs. And so if a woman came to see him, he would ask me to go with her upstairs. And then the three of us would talk. And so they sometimes it's called the rule of threes like that. So, and here it's described for brahmacharis. Oh, but said once that the discussions between 
uh, unmarried men and unmarried women should be like, pass the salt, please. In other words, just for business and Krishna consciousness and not like, a, you know, long discussions. Uh, friendships are super important, but um, friendships that avoid temptation are usually the better. So any thoughts, questions, comments on this? Okay. Then the last one we're going to deal with, uh, if the wife of the spiritual master is young, a young brahmachari should not allow her to care for his hair, massage his body with oil or bathe him with affection like a mother. Because the, remember, the idea is a child at five years old or so would enter the home of the, of the guru. The husband would be there. The wife would be there. The husband being the guru generally. Um, and they would take them in. And that, you know, five-year-old not going to be able to, do, you know, um, needs that um, familial affection and, and help and things. And so as he grows older, he should be careful if the guru's wife is young. And Prabhupada writes about the present-day society. And civilization that allows men to mix unrestrictedly with women is an animal civilization. In Kali Yuga, people are extremely liberal, but mixing with women and talking with them as equals actually constitutes an uncivilized way of life. So anything, we still have a few minutes left. Anything on anything we've covered today, just now or previously? Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes, Nani I'm just looking at this purport of verse 8, and I see this word, uh, wife of the teacher is also a mother, which is noted as Guru Patni. Right, and I, I, I'm very interested to know this because um, in Chinese there is a very similar expression in this regard. Uh, in the traditional uh, Chinese uh, culture, sorry, I'm using this word tradition. <laughs> it's uh, the teacher is given great respect, mm -hmm. and uh, there is a specific kind of um, word that you use to refer to the wife of the teacher. It's uh, in Chinese, it is um, 师母, and 师 means teacher, 母 means mother. So mm -hmm. basically it's teacher, mother, like this, Guru Patni. Interesting, exactly. And do you see elements of Varnashram in traditional Chinese civilization? I think there are. Uh, certain classification with regard to your social status and your, the nature of your work. Okay. And there are a lot of uh, conventions with how you are supposed to behave mm. in this specific position. Mm. Interesting. And, uh, but the purpose is lost and people are not able to follow them. Right, exactly. Thank you for that. Very interesting. Um, other questions or comments? Yeah, I have one question. Um... I think near the beginning of some of this, it stated that the, the various um, levels in society were cast, whatever you want to call it, were organized in accordance with the modes of material nature. So, which I guess we know are, assuming you're not detached, which yeah, um, would be goodness, passion, and ignorance, correct? Right. Yeah. So is, is it sort of implicit that um, the lower castes are more uh, afflicted with, yeah, let's, let's put it this way, Brahman goodness, Chetriya, 
maybe a little more passion in there. Yeah, Vaishya, passion, ignorance, and pseudo ignorance. Yes. And if they become devotees, then they can be transcendental to those modes. Exactly. But yes, that's sometimes said like that. Um, but, you know, the that by becoming a devotee, then, you know, like we said, that connects you to the, to the purpose of Varnashram. And it, you know, I don't know if we want to use the word bypass, but it's transcendental too. Varnashram is still very much part of this world. What kind of job you do, right? You know, who you're related to. It's, it's for this body that we're in right now which is ultimately has no reality to the soul but it seems like oh i thought someone was talking um it, it seems like um if this system is done correctly like the higher caste wouldn't act like jerks to the lower caste. exactly 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 yeah and also in the chapter i mean the uh, uh canto for bhagavatam the you know uh, maharaj prithu uh katha the history of Maharaj Prithu after the end of that, uh, the Shruti fall states that uh, the Shudras are, uh, they have the Seva Bhav in them, they have that uh, attitude of service. Mm. So if they repose that in Krishna, they are uh, easier to attain Krishna consciousness than the other three castes because, you know, like the Brahmins can become proud of their knowledge, the Kshatriyas can become too proud of their prowess and vashas, their money and act like jerks towards others. Whereas the Shudras kind of have that service attitude. And if that is reposed in Krishna, they are uh, much more favorable to get to Krishna faster than the other three castes. And another verse is like, uh, I can't remember that, uh, the high birth, high parentage, high education are actually impediments Yes. Towards Krishna consciousness. That's the prayer of Queen Kunti. Let's actually look at that. that, that thank you for reminding me of that prayer. Um, Interesting. I can't remember. Jamaishvarya Shuti Shibir is the Sanskrit. Here we go. I found it. Uh, let me show it to you. Mm. Oh, my Lord. Uh, my Lord, your Lordship can easily be approached, but only by those who are materially exhausted. Because one who is on the path of material uh, progress, trying to improve himself with respectable parentage, great opulence, high education, and bodily beauty, cannot address you with sincere feeling. And yes, yeah, so, so it's Janma uh, Aishwarya, the opulent, you know, being born in a rich family, education, um, beauty, that these are can be intoxications for someone yeah okay so thank you very much for that one um so let us continue next week and uh i hope you have a very pleasant week um and i actually have to prepare for another class i'm giving in an hour uh for the sunday uh talk at the temple hi everyone thank you bye thank you.